Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. I want to talk to you today about a subject called identity theft. Maybe you've wondered, what in the world is this slide that you see behind me? What does that have to do with us being in church uh, today? Well, identity theft is a huge problem in our world. Those who are involved with this crime steal someone's identity by obtaining maybe their credit card information or a PIN number or password, social security number, and use them for their own gain. Some of you might remember that, I think it was seven, eight, nine years ago, there was a movie that came out called Identity Thief, and Jason Bateman and Melissa McCarthy were the the actors in that, and it had to do with a man uh, who lived in Denver, had his identity stolen by this woman who lived in Florida, and... uh, I never saw the movie, but I know that's the kind of the plot of it. Seven years ago this month, Judy and I were preparing for the the wedding of our youngest daughter, Stephanie. And about three weeks before the wedding, we were informed that our bank account was shut down. So I went to the bank um, and they said, well, um, we have all this activity of money being transferred from your savings account, our savings account where we were saving up all the money for this wedding. why is it that the parents of the bride always have to... Uh, anyway, that's another, another discussion, but we have three girls, and so uh, this was a third of them to get married, and um, so we were saving all this money, but money had been transferred from our savings account to our checking account, and then from the checking account, wired to someone in Baltimore, Maryland. And they said, do you know anything about this? And I said, no, I didn't authorize any of this. So uh, our, de- our identity had been stolen. And we eventually found out after getting the police involved that the money eventually ended up in Russia. So, uh, yeah, it was pretty scary. In fact, they even hacked into my phone and all my incoming phone calls went to this person who had stolen my identity. I was still able to call out on my phone, but presumably so that they could verify with the bank when the bank called to say, hey, is this your activity? They could affirm that. And it wasn't until my son called, tried to call me, and got someone whose voice he didn't recognize that uh, we were alerted to the fact that my phone had been hacked into as well. Identity theft. But the kind of identity theft I want to talk with you about today uh, is even more dangerous than the kind that I've been telling you about. It seems that a lot of people are confused as to their real identity. Who am I really? Where do I fit in? What is my identity formed from? Is it, does it come from my job? Many of us, when we're asked to explain who we are, we do so by explaining what we do for our work. Or does it come from our family? Does it come from our, our ethnicity, our, our race? Is our identity formed by the amount of money that we make? Some people seem to think so. Does it come from our education or the talents we have? Some people try to derive their identity from the car that they drive. Some of us really try not to derive our identity from that. Um, Maybe from the clothes that we wear. And what happens if you build your identity on something that if you were put in another culture, another place in the world, would your identity be as um, comfortable for you to share with someone who culturally doesn't even understand what you're talking about. Imagine someone that says, well, my identity is I'm a a center fielder for the Seattle Mariners. And you were taken out of this culture, and let's say you're taken to the Amazon jungle down in South America, and they were trying to figure out who you were, and you said, well, I'm a center fielder for the the Mariners. And they go, what's a Mariner, and what's a center fielder? It, It doesn't make any sense to them, right? 
People have been deceived because they've based their identity on transient things, things that are passing away. Well, many years ago, God's people, the people of Judah, were captured and, and, and taken captive by the nation of Babylon, which is where uh, Iraq is today. And the king of that land, King Nebuchadnezzar, took all these people and made them his slaves in his own land. I want us to look today at the first chapter of Daniel. Uh, we're going to start at verse 3 and read about this captivity of the people from Judah. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. And to Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Now, friends, do you see what's going on here? This is an attempt to steal the identity of these young men. It's all about their identity, to reshape them and to conform them to a human system that was governed by the most powerful leader in the world at that time, King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, of course, the times in which we live are different, but we still see attempts to steal and reshape the identity of men and women. And I want to ask you today, from where do you derive your identity? There are three things that are important for you and for me to know as it comes to our identity. The first of those three is this, that we must reject the world system. If you read on from, from where I stopped, I stopped at verse 7 in Daniel 1. The very next verse says this, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked that the chief official would give him permission not to defile himself this way. Now, this wasn't just Daniel rejecting some foods that he deemed unclean because he was a, a Hebrew. Daniel was saying more than that. He was saying, I'm not going to buy into your system. I know who I am. I'm a Hebrew. I'm a follower of Jehovah God, and I will not be reshaped. I will not have my identity stolen. These men were given different names. Babylonian names, Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. But their real names were Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. You see, all of their real names, their given names, had the name of their God embedded in it. Those names that ended with the, with the E-L sound, L, that was short for Elohim, one of the names of God. And the other two had names that, that end with Yah, which was short for Yahweh, another name for the Hebrew God. And the new names that they were given all were related to the Babylonian deities. So when you understand that, you realize what was going on here. They're saying, we're going to give you a whole new way of identifying yourself. 
And it's a classic ploy of our enemy, the devil himself. He will seek to put his stamp on your life and to tell you what your identity is. He's the manipulator of minds, and he tries to push us into the world system. Now, the world system basically builds a person's identity on three things. Your appearance, your abilities, or your possessions. And that's why so many people walk around with a, a negative self-image, because it's hard to live up to certain standards when it comes to our appearance or our abilities or our possessions. And when we build our identity upon that, it's a faulty foundation. And if there's any place that needs to provide a counterculture to this world system, it's the church of Jesus Christ. And like these four Hebrew men, we must reject the world system. It says, you're valuable if you look good enough. You're valuable if you have a position or a title that is impressive. You're valuable if you live in a certain neighborhood or if you can throw a football a certain amount of yards or you drive a, an impressive car. The crazy thing is when we build our life and our identity upon these things, sometimes those things change. Have you ever heard the stories of professional athletes that retire from the sport that they were really good at and now they have to kind of make their way in the world without the identity of being uh, you know, someone that look, is looked up to because of their ability in sports? All this value that's put on, on our appearance and our abilities and our possessions uh, is part of a thought system that's really opposed to God and his ways and will eventually let you down. It will disappoint you. Look with me at the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. He said, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So he describes this way of forming our identity as, as futile. He says they're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And then the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, verse 2, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Don't get your identity from the world system. Now, another way that Satan will try to rob you of your true identity is to point to something in your past and try to convince you that that event or that way of living from your past is who you are. That's what defines you. And so a lot of people walk around thinking, well, this happened to me back in the day or I made this decision, and so that's, that's who I am. But whether that was a bad thing or a good thing, that's not why you're, where your identity is found. So we must reject the world system. And that brings us to the second thing that I want us to consider today is that we should focus on the condition of our heart. It's not the externals that are of most importance. It's the condition of your heart. Now I'm about to read you two proverbs, two um, very wise sayings from the book of Proverbs that is just filled with so much wisdom. Um, and both of these Proverbs are written specifically about women, but you're going to see that they really apply to us all. The first one is Proverbs eleven twenty two, 
kind of a funny picture that's painted here. Like a gold ring and a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. In other words, you can dress up a pig, but it's still a pig, right? I mean, you can, you can focus on the external, but you're not changing what that animal is and its essence. And so this, this proverb is reminding us if we're only focusing on the external, we're, we're missing the point. The next proverb is, is similar. It says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. When it says that beauty is fleeting, I'm reminded of a few years ago when I was, I was doing some work on my computer and this ad popped up for this article. And the name of the article was Celebrities Who Have Not Aged Well. And I thought, oh, I'd really like to see this. So I clicked on it, and uh, it was an appropriately named article because they showed pictures of people uh, like movie stars and musicians, things like that, in their prime, and then it showed a picture of them that was contemporary. And these people had not aged well. Um, and it was a reminder of what this scripture says. Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting. Do you remember that Jesus at one point called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs? What he was saying about them was, you have the external appearance of being holy people, but inside there's death. You're, you're so focused on the way you're perceived, how people look at you, but you're just whitewashed tombs. Now, I don't believe God would have us ignore the outer things. I hope that, you know, when you come to church on Sunday morning, you look in the mirror and maybe take a shower and brush your teeth and all, all those external things. There, there's nothing wrong with that. But let's really put our, our, our most effort and attention on issues of the heart. I've learned that God can take someone that the world would reject and think of as ugly or unimportant and do great things in the life of that person and through that person. I don't know if you've ever heard of the name David Ring before. He's a preacher, and I, the first time I heard him was on the radio, and I had a hard time understanding him. I was driving my car along, and I was listening to this radio program, and um, I came right in the middle of the message, so I hadn't heard an introduction. But David Ring is very difficult to understand, and it's because he has cerebral, cerebral palsy. And this man, who many would say, he shouldn't be a preacher, he shouldn't be standing in front of people. I've since seen videos of him, and uh, just for him to walk like from the front row up to the, the platform takes a long time because of his physical infirmity. But God has used this man, who, who many would have said is not the kind of person you'd want to have up front, to, to impact the lives of thousands and thousands of people through his ministry. And um, he's a great example of God's taking someone that externally might not be thought of as very impressive. But when it comes to matters of the heart, there's power there. God delights in using the world's cast-offs. In fact, uh, that's spoken of in this scripture that we'll look at next. It's 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 and 27. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God delights in taking the world's cast-offs and saying, that's the person I'm going to use. That's the person I'm really going to pour my spirit in and do great things through. The least expected ones. 
Even Jesus himself. You know, many of us have seen artists' ideas of what Jesus might have looked like, and usually he's this ruggedly handsome, uh, Middle Eastern-looking man. Uh, But listen to what the prophecy written about Jesus hundreds of years before he came to earth by Isaiah the prophet says. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. We held him in low esteem. There is nothing outwardly attractive, the scripture is saying, about Jesus. But he's the one that we've come here to worship today. He's our Savior and our Lord and our Savior. What makes a person great? It's not the externals. It's matters of the heart. Another scripture that we can look at here is taken from 1 Samuel 16. And the context of this this verse is that the prophet Samuel went to anoint the new king of Israel. God had told him, go to this man Jesse's house. One of Jesse's sons is going to be the new king. And so Jesse parades all of his sons before Samuel and says, it must be this one or it must be that one. And, And God just speaks to Samuel and says, no, it's none of these guys. And so Samuel says, are these all your sons? And Jesse said, well, well, there's one more, but he's out taking care of the sheep. He's the the, the runt of the litter, basically. And and Samuel said, bring him in. And Samuel knew when he first saw David, this was the new king that he was to anoint. And then in that context, God spoke these words to Samuel. He said, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Friends, you and I will discover who we really are when we reject the world system, when we focus on matters of the heart. And thirdly, we'll find out who we really are when we find our identity in Jesus Christ. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah refused to be pushed into the Babylonian system. They said, no, we're men of God. Now, it didn't go easily for them from that point on. We know that Daniel was put in a lion's den. We know that the three other men were put in a fiery furnace, but God saw all of them through their ordeals. They found their identity in him. And so today I want to ask you, what is your identity? Did you know that God made you special? He did, every one of you. You're not an accident. You were not created by chance, regardless of the circumstances behind your conception. God made you specifically who you are. He formed you and created you. In Psalm 139, we have a reminder of this. And I want to encourage you as I read these words to take this personally. This is for you. This is true of your life. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life, 
<clears throat> was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. God made you. He created you carefully, specifically to be you. You don't have to try to be someone else. This, this uh, passage talks about the word workmanship. We're God's workmanship. You ever had somebody tell you you're a piece of work? <laughs> well, you could say, here you go. Yeah, I am. I'm God's workmanship. In Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17, we have uh, a reminder of the way God views us. I love this verse. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. A couple days ago, Judy and I went um, by the house of our daughter, Lindsay. She and her husband, Anthony, are responsible for five of our ten grandkids. They have five children. And uh, we're, we're at their house for a little while, and Judy was sitting on the sofa reading to a few of them. And one of the one of their, their boys, they have four boys and one girl. And uh, Matthew, who's three years old, was with me. And I, I got him up in my lap, and we were looking out the sliding glass door in the back of their house, and they have kind of a green belt behind them. There's a stream going through there. It's really a great place for kids. And uh, we were talking about all the, the wildlife that he, Matthew had seen out there. And, and then I did something that I do often with my grandkids. I just made up this silly little song that was about Matthew. And I used his name in it and wanted him to know that he was special. And, uh, you know, I just make up these rhymes that, that are somewhat nonsense, but hopefully very affirming to them. And no, I'm not going to sing one to you today. But, uh, <laughs> but I was singing it to Matthew on Friday. And I thought of this verse. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Do you know God has a special song that he's written for you? A song of love, a song of deep affection. He loves you. And he created you a special way. My friends, if you could view yourself through the eyes of your heavenly father for one minute, it would revolutionize your life. It would change everything. If you could see yourself as God sees you, your father. And that is your true identity. Some of you are familiar with the old hymn that we used to sing all the time, the solid rock, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Well, there's a verse in that song that I was thinking of this past week. The verse says, it's talking about when Jesus returns again. It says, when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Oh, I love those words. When Jesus comes again and we are in him, we are one of his followers, then we are clothed in his righteousness, not our shabby rags of our righteous good deeds, but Jesus' righteousness. And that's how we're seen. And that's what this, this next scripture says. The Apostle Paul's talking about the way he is viewed by our God. I'm going to read to you actually the verse 
prior to the one that you see on the screen. Paul says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ, and here's the part that you see, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Char and Tim, in, in a couple minutes, are going to come back and lead us in a concluding song. And the name of the song is Good, Good Father. And I love this song because it's like the writer was reminding himself and reminding all of us who hear or sing this song of who God is and who we are. You're a good, good father. And it's like he's trying to reinforce it to himself. That's who you are. That's who you are. That's who you are. And then he says, and I'm loved by you. That's who I am. That's who I am. That's who I am. And if you're like me, I need to be reminded of that. Because the world tries to get its messages into me, and, and I need to be reminded of who I am in Christ. That's my identity. That's your identity. There's a village over in the, the nation of Armenia. It's called Stepanovan. And Stepanovan... Um, is not a very big town, but um, it, like most of the nation of Armenia, was, was uh, struck by a, a big earthquake back in 1988. And in this town, uh, there was this couple. Uh, the man's name was Palasan, and he had a wife and uh, a little boy, I think it was six or seven years old. And ever since that earthquake happened on that day, this man's wife is referred to as Paulison's wife. That's what people call her around the town. They don't call her by her name. They call her Paulison's wife. And that may sound like it's demeaning to her, but let me explain to you why that happened. Back in 1988, this earthquake hit. It was a little before noon, and this man, Paulison, was at work. And his first thought was, when, when the shaking began, was, i got to get to my son. And so he left work. He ran uh, to the elementary school. And as he got there, the front facade of the building was, was crumbling down. The earthquake was so severe. And he dodged debris, and he ran into that building, and he started grabbing kids, just one after the other, and yanking them out of the school. And he was pulling more and more children out until he had got 28 kids out. And he said, I'm going in for some more. And when he went in this time, there was another aftershock, and the building just crumbled down, killing him and all the others that were still in that building. And because of his heroic act, the people honor his memory and really honor his wife by calling her Paulison's wife because of this heroic man. You know, sometimes the greatest honor we have is in who we're related to. And when you take the name Christian or follower of Jesus, you're saying, that's my identity. The one who gave his life for me. The one who came in and, and, and rescued me and pulled me out of death and into life. Wear that name proudly. My friend, that's your identity. Let's pray together. Lord, we just want to acknowledge today that this world has a way of categorizing us and 
explaining who we are based on its system. We just want to acknowledge today that that system is faulty. It's not, it's not true. It's not accurate. And we want to be reminded of who we are in you. That we're unconditionally loved by you. And that for those of us that have chosen to follow you, Lord Jesus, we are clothed in your righteousness. And all that you accomplished when you died on the cross and when you rose again has been applied to our lives. And we just want to thank you for that. And Lord, would you help us today to reject the world system which is built on such a, a faulty uh, way of thinking and help us to embrace the truth of your word that we're your children loved by you. Lord, I pray for anyone that's here in this room today or perhaps watching online that has not found their identity in you, that this would be the day when they say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I, I turn from my sins and I choose to follow you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray for, for those people that will be making that decision today, that you'd remind them that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that you delight to show mercy to us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be reminded day after day of who we are in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for this time together today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.